Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Modern History HSC podcast. Today, we're going to be doing our part two of looking at the national study for the Soviet Union. Um, we are admittedly going to be skipping over an important part, uh, which is comes at the end of war communism, the Bolshevik uh, political party consolidating their power, um, because Lenin dies. Lenin dies passes away uh, due to medical complications, and there's this power vacuum. Another one of these reoccurring themes in history is that who who is going to fill the void of the great leader? We have a power struggle between perhaps the two most powerful figures within the Bolshevik party, and that is between the leader of the Red Army uh, Leon Trotsky and Stalin, the like the backroom boy, bureaucrat, secretary of the party. Whilst Trotsky is the charismatic, he's the war hero, uh, he's out in front. Stalin is the person behind the scenes making the deals, arranging the meetings, and he's able to team up, make alliances throughout this um, intermediate period of time to remove Trotsky, remove his other rivals until he gets to the point of un, like uncontestable power. So that's where we're going to be picking off, uh, picking up with, and we'll come back to that for another separate episode because it needs its own episode. Today I am joined by Luke, Tom, and Lachlan. They're going to be covering, looking at Stalin's cult of personality, then Stalinization, another ization that you guys need to get your heads around, like industrialization. Um, there's another word in there which is going to be dekulakization, and I probably butchered that as well, but removing a scapegoat similar to the Jews. And then what's the average impact of the person on the streets in Moscow or the people living in the living in the farms of Russia and within the Soviet Union. We're going to cover all of that today in in like a in an overview level of detail. So let's start off with Luke. Luke, how you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good. It's good to be back. Riley's a bit um disappointed he couldn't make it, so I'm just gonna fill in for him today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So Riley is busy working on some major works, so Luke's jumped in to talk about Stalin's cult of personality for us. So take it away, Luke. What maybe start off with like what is a cult of personality? Yeah, I'm way ahead of you there. I um, actually looked up the formal definition of cult of personality because I feel like it's something that gets thrown around a lot in this uh, in modern history, but I don't think we've ever really taken a look at what it like a formal definition so i've got a cult of personality or cult of the leader arises when a country's regime uses the techniques of mass media propaganda the big lie spectacle the arts patriotism and government organized demonstrations and rallies to create an idealized heroic image of a leader often through unquestioning flattery and praise yeah, right. Nice. <laughs> that that covers all our bases. So is this a perfect example of what Stalin's doing? And let's put it in Stalin's context. 
Yeah, it really is because what Stalin's out there doing is like when he's gathering his power and after he's gathered his power, he starts to encourage, you know, writers, artists, all these forms of media uh, to create like this narrative that Stalin is like the supreme leader of Russia and he's this like messiah type figure to the Russian people and they sort of praise him for all of his sacrifices that he made for the good of Russia as a whole. And so they really sort of, yeah, I think the key word here is they kind of make him like a messiah to Russia and they just push that through propaganda and, you know, all the forms of media. And Luke, I, I want to keep going on this train of thought that you're bringing up. And yes, they're making him this messiah because Lenin's not the only power vacuum because religion gets outlawed in the Soviet Union uh, once the Bolsheviks come to power, that they're an atheist society trying to remove class because the Catholic or the Orthodox Church is seen as having leverage and power over people, so they get rid of it. Um, obviously, you can't remove people people's faith with a piece of paper. So do you think that this is another power vacuum that Stalin exploits and he becomes the new religion of Russia? Yeah, I feel like you're exactly right. Stalin, you know, Lenin was kind of this huge figure in Russia as like, you know, he was their leader. They were quite proud of Lenin and everything. And then so once he's gone, there's a huge power vacuum by that. And then they get rid of religion. And so Stalin's sort of very happy to merge the two together and become uh, this, yeah, messiah-like figure for Russia and present himself as kind of their saviour. Absolutely. Um, There's obviously going to be other ways of trying to influence the cult of personality. In your description, you're talking about the control of the media. He obviously does that with Pravda. Um, which is a newspaper in the Soviet Union to control the the headlines that would be coming out that people are seeing. Um, what do you think he's doing to education as well, so our youth groups? Yeah, I feel like really we sort of perceive from history Stalin as this big evil man and stuff, but he is really innovating in education and stuff and like everything like you have this sort of uh, narrative of him controlling like propaganda controlling everyone's opinions on everything and stuff but he also did a lot of um you know innovation in education systems and everything so there's that's in its own kind of way is like moving forward with education and also with um he was doing things with like their culture as far as like um, healthcare and that sort of thing, moving forward, doing that sort of stuff in its own way is kind of a form nearly of propaganda because he's gaining support through action as well. Yeah, you bring up a good point that that cults of personality, it's not always like we'll get everybody on board because we'll brainwash them and we'll will beat anybody or will shoot anybody um, that doesn't agree with us. That is certainly an aspect that um, 
goes hand in hand with these cults of personalities to try and enforce what's happening on the fringes. But like when we have a look at the Nazis, like what we have when we're looking at the Cultural Revolution um, or the communist trials that are happening in the United States during the Cold War, there are these good, positive actions that are still dragging, I guess, the like the bottom, the mass bottom to a better standard of living. Um, I will say that in the Soviet Union, a lot of the good stuff tends to focus on the cities at the peasants' expense. However, you are seeing increased literacy rates. But just imagine it just be like going to a school. Well, first of all, you go into a school probably for the first time in your life, but there's no electives. So it's you're doing maths, science, engineering, classical, like classical studies, but you don't need to do anything else. Um, because there's no need for that. We're trying to industrialise and catch up. Do you like the sound of that, Luke, just as a personal question? Well, for me personally, it sounds quite boring, but I think, as you said, like if you're coming to a school for the first time and they're mass educating, trying to push up literature rates and stuff, it's probably, I don't know, it's kind of probably what they expected school to be like, really. Yeah, they haven't got anything else to compare it to. And that's a perfect a perfect example of framing that from our perspective where like you can study anything you want today or have access to any expert at a touch of your fingertips or perhaps for like a small fee or something like that, even all the subjects that school offer, and we look at it and go, oh, that's tyranny. Like those people must hate that. But from their point of view, if they've spent the majority of their life on a farm or in a factory, that this is probably still a massive improvement for them. Um, and it, it's showing a promise to these kids that the state is investing in Stalin. Oh, sorry, that Stalin is investing in them and it's going to bring a lot of them on board without this, um, without violence. I think we'll yeah, exactly on. right. Yeah, yeah, keep I going. Think Do you have anything the to last, add? Um, yeah, the last point I'd like to make is that it's very similar to what a lot of the dictators were doing. And just to get the younger generation on side, all they're really doing is just promising them a future apart from what's been set from them. So like you're saying with the peasants and stuff, you know, the youth kind of wants to rebel. And so by promising them a future different to the one like, that they've been laid out they thought their whole life that's what they're going to be going into like i'm going to have to be a peasant because my parents were peasants by giving them education and promising them a different future i think that's how you often find that they get the youth on side hit the nail on the head mate that's absolutely correct um we're going to move on to looking at uh further stalinization tom's going to pick up um we've might have stepped on his toes a little bit by talking so much about education, but there's still plenty of other things that are going on, such as removing the kulaks and industrialization and perhaps anything else that Tom's found in his research. So, Tom, take it away, mate. All right. So Stalin, in his um, with his new cult of personality and whatnot, he created his own ideology based off of 
Leninism and Marxism, and he called it Stalinism. And it was basically the ideology and policies which he adopted after he gained power in Russia, and it was based on centralization, totalitarianism, and the pursuit of communism. Um, in this sort of, well, with his centralization, he um, focused on largely on industry and sort of left um, agriculture to the side. But sort of a part of all this sort of stuff and like crucial to communism itself is the idea of collectivization, which is eliminating private land ownership. And by doing this, Stalin forced peasants to live in kolhoz, which were large collectives, um, or sov, sovkoz, state farms. And so he's pushing everyone to sort of move in together, um, work together, sort of no one has owns anything anymore, um, trying to set these unrealistic goals as well. Um, a lot of people were pulled away from farms to go into industry because Stalin set a huge priority on industrialization um, through a series of five-year plans. So these five-year plans, they um, focused on factory-based commodities um, such as steel, coal, iron, electricity, um, as well as the sort of um, infrastructure needed to transport this sort of stuff, such as ships and railways, and then the factories needed to produce this thing, these sorts of things. Um, the first five-year plan was set between 1928 and 1932, and uh, there were some pretty unrealistic goals set by Stalin, such as a 250% increase in overall industrial development and a 330% increase in heavy industry, and he wanted the entire agricultural sector to be collectivised. Yeah, but who's going to argue so, with him, hey, Tom? <laughs> yeah. And so as part of this sort of collectivization of all agricultural sectors, there was a lot of people that spoke out against it, you know, under Lenin and the, with the NAP, that sort of gained a bit of wealth, acquired a bit of property, you know, they'd become, they gained, a, like, yeah, that had a better off deal than what they saw with going into this collectivization. Um, a lot of people seeing the collectivization, um, they sort of burned their crops, um, got rid of a lot of their things so they didn't have to bring them into what they saw as just state-owned factories. You know, they wouldn't have any say in their farms that they'd previously had. And so in order to get rid of these people, Stalin sort of used an idea that had been around for a while, and that was the idea of um, kulaks or wealthy, like, landowners. And so... You know, he's got this sort of scapegoat that he's now blaming for everything that is, like, everything, anything that goes wrong, he blames the Kulaks, and he wants to sort of, you know, um, attack them as much as possible. And so about 30,000 Kulaks were killed on the spot during these forced collectivizations, and nearly 2 million were forcibly deported to remote labor camps in Siberia and the far north. Um Stalin's really digging into this sort of totalitarian sort of rule and his use of terror to try and, I don't know, silence any opposition to him. 
you know, he la- labels all these people as kulaks for um, sort of opposing his collectivization. And then at the end of all this, oh, I have a quote here about, well, from Stalin, and that is, we are 50 or 100 years behind the advanced countries. We must make up this gap in 10 years. Either we do it or they will crush us. And basically what Stalin's trying to do is he's setting these unrealistic goals and he's killing off anyone who opposes him to try and force Russia to um, into this really, really, really heavily exponential growth in industry and production and stuff to try and meet up with the rest, like match and um, sort of beat the rest of the world in industrial output which he believes Russia has sort of been behind on on the world stage for some time. And so in the end, industrial goods increased um, by a fair bit, um, but there was a lot of sort of negative benefits as well, such as um, peasants were displaced, so that caused a lot of overcrowding and housing shortages and poor living. Um, but on the other hand, the USSR managed to overtake all of European industrial output and became second to the US. And is this, is that by? And I'm not quite sure if you if you know in your notes is that by um, a certain period of time that they catch up with the United States? Is that like at the end of World War Two or? Um, 1939, so just before World War Two. Yeah, like. And yeah, like right if we're before. gonna. Yeah, if we're going to summarise basically, again, what you've just laid out in great detail is that, yes, it was brutal. Yes, you're not going to argue with the man. Yes, you have, well, he has a perfect scapegoat, which is like, you know, oh, we're not hitting the targets because of the kulaks. And the kulaks are just this massive broad stroke, the same way that the Americans will use the communists for anything that's bad which is just basically just means an enemy. It's just a bad guy, a demon, a devil, whatever. But the the numbers, and again, we've got to take their word for it, but those numbers certainly don't lie. They, they do rapidly industrialise. It's an amazing feat. And arguably, if you didn't do it, Tom, do you reckon they would have had any chance of surviving the Nazi invasion? I uh, was pretty doubtful that they would have. Um, yeah, it's pretty doubtful that they would have ended up in a Cold War either if they didn't have such a um, close position behind the US in industrial output at that stage as well. Yeah, it's it just, he completely like changes the timeline for, for like what takes place in the next. God, it would still be going on today. Russia's still the boogeyman today. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Tom, before I pass on to Lachlan to talk about the impact of the average person? Um, no, I think all the stuff that I sort of could add is sort of in Lachlan's sort of domain, so I'll leave that to him. Yep, absolutely. Lachlan. The average person on the street. We've been talking about the higher level, like the cult taking over the religion, the industrial targets, removing the kulaks. We've kind of dabbled a little bit into your field as well with maybe the way that the kids are feeling about this this change that Stalin's bringing. 
But for the average person in Russia, how would you like to start off by maybe painting a picture as to what it's like? Um, it's a lot different as um, they're trying to push for the industrialization, so which caused a lot of the peasants to migrate sort of towards more of the cities from rural areas. Mm-hmm. So that's um, uh, what was I was going to say. That's sort of like where, like the first thing. But as well as with education, he also did push for like a hundred percent of like all children between ages like eight to twelve to be enrolled in school. So I guess there's like a positive impact, but as well as some other impacts that are not as good. Like as well as it caused under Stalin's rule, there actually was a national famine, I believe. Yep. But yeah. Right. So we've got a famine. We've got, again, like there's goods and bads, there's trade-offs to what he's trying to do. He gets this industrial output, um, but he's sacrificing the people in the farmland by not resourcing them and putting a lot of pressure on them, as well as killing and deportating anybody who might actually be good at farming. So he's got to deal with that issue as well, which is going to cause our famine. Um I want to focus a little bit on the terror that might be going on, which we haven't talked about yet, Lachlan, which is have you got any sense from, say, the films that we've looked at, the stuff that we've talked about, what would it be like if you disagreed with Stalin? Um, I guess he would sort of see you as sort of a threat and I guess maybe possibly um, find a way to silence you, like make you disappear so that you wouldn't influence any of the others. Yep, absolutely. Um, one of the ways that he might be silencing you is, again, it might just be someone like the NKVD, so that's their secret police, coming to your door one night and just picking you up and no one's ever going to see you again. And the i think even scarier part of this is that you probably just got ratted out so that somebody else who had already been picked up earlier that day um was going to avoid being tortured it's like they'd be in their prison cell you have laventi barrier who's leading that secret police he's just like torturing people and we know that he takes like this is a sick guy um i know we're always saying that history's not black and white, but there is overwhelming evidence that this guy's a sick guy and a pedophile and all these other things. He he loves his work that he's doing. Um, he's there torturing these people, and it's just like, give me a name, give me a name, give me a name. It's like I don't care if it's your brother, your sister, whatever. Like we've got to keep this terror sort of happening because if the general population sees that, um going to the fringes will get you in trouble um it's going to allow them to achieve these targets do you think this sounds like a society that should be even able to function lachlan like how can this even happen could you imagine it happening anywhere else or maybe some examples um i'm sorry what was the question again Sorry, I was a pretty long-winded question. That the question was: I've just described this system of maintaining terror. 
to keep the population on edge. Are there any other historical examples that we've looked at where you know nations or powers that have done the same thing? That's my question. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Go on, surely, surely. <laughs> what if I said Hitler? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, he would have used like the SS and the SA to terrify the um, opposition. Then I guess he used his military forces. Yep. And then you have the Gestapo as well, the secret police. The first time wiretapping is used is used by the Nazis as well. They're maintaining this terror. Um, is there anything else you would like to add, Lachlan, about maybe the, the terror or what the average person might be feeling living in Soviet Russia at this time? Um, no, I don't think I have anything else. Rightio. Um, I'm going to pass it to the boys just to ask. Um, this is just a bit off the script to see if we can dredge up anything else. Luke. Is there anything else that you've seen that you would like to add for what's it like for the average person, maybe a specific group of persons? Uh, well, you know, there was when we did our essays and stuff, I found a bit of information that I found quite interesting was Stalin in his bid to control uh, media and all that sort of stuff. Like he was killing artists and musicians like yeah. just basically because he didn't like their work <laughs> yeah it's just like i'm setting what the what art is now so yeah if you're going to disagree we're going to remove you well he had like three classical composers that he liked and he kind of outlawed every other type of music in all of russia yeah man that's crazy and it's reflecting on imagine if that happened today if you just have and again, I'm not saying Scott Morrison's a dictator or anything, so stop your comments, <laughs> listeners. But if he came out and was like, right, my free, my three favourite like artists, that's the only music we're allowed to listen to, like, and for people to actually follow that, I couldn't imagine that happening today. Like, you'd have to have the terror in the background. There have to be something that it's just like. Well, yep, I guess Thirsty Mirth is the only song I want to listen to <laughs> or something like that. Um, is there anything else that you found creating your essay or would you like to pass it to Tom for our last bit? No, I'll just pass it off to Tom. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. Um, Tom, have you got anything to add for the average person um, or how culture is being manipulated, society? Um, so, um, on the point of sort of terror and stuff, I have a quote here by Stalin, the man himself, um, and that is, death is the solution to all problems. No man, no problem. And that sort of sums up basically what he thought, that, you know, if you go and throw people in prison, kill off all your, kill off all your opposition, you're sort of left on your own without anyone to oppose your leadership. And that's basically what he did. I also have another interesting point, and that is that some historians actually argued that Stalin did not achieve the features of a totalitarian regime until well into the 1930s. And 
then only because of the fact that he had a lot of popular support encouraged by, you know, propaganda and the cult of personality. And that sort of, you know, sums up the idea of cult of personality that, you know, some people are, you know, following Stalin because he had this threat of terror and the threat of violence and he was um, controlling everything with his um, totalitarian like rule. But on the other hand, some people would have been there just going, oh, yeah, Stalin's a really nice guy. He's getting he's getting us a lot of these benefits that we would have otherwise not had as just a peasant working in the farm. Like we're getting free health care, free education, um, a lot of those sort of things. Um, Legalisation of abortion. Um, he made divorce easier to like obtain. So he had a lot of things that people were sort of following for reasons other than out of fear but there was a lot of fear there too yeah absolutely you know it's always saying? yeah i get 100 percent what you're saying and this is what you only get when you think critically look at more than one source like reflect that you see that like it's so much more complicated than like a like a quick google or like a video will will tell you it's just Stalin's a big nasty guy who scared everybody into following him and he's a communist and communists just act this way it's like when we look at the Nazis that some people just just like the way that the Nazis governed better they didn't care about the racial policies or what was happening with the Jews they just they just got a better life out of what the Nazis were doing compared to the way things were after the First World War. Um, and I think sometimes people are uncomfortable with owning up and maybe saying that out aloud, which is that, like, I like I get where they're coming from, that they're not evil people, and this could really just happen anywhere. And we've got so many examples. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up. We're probably hitting about maybe 25 minutes or so, and I think we've gone into good detail for what life was like under Stalin. I'm going to get Tom, first of all, to sign off. Uh, this is going to be ending our overview series. We're going to be starting a new series, which we'll announce um, pretty soon. Um, so, Tom, final sign-off for our overview series. Yeah, thanks for listening, listening, everyone. Hopefully we see you in the next series. Um, smash that like button. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Um, and Lachlan, sign off, mate. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, yeah. Come on, you've got to say at least like and subscribe or something. All right, all right like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, good stuff okay and luke uh thanks everyone for listening i just wanted to leave everyone uh on the point i'd like to make is that by understanding you know both sides of the story with these dictators and stuff by recognizing why they come to power all aspects of it we can stop it from happening again like we we can understand better how it happens so that we don't fall into these traps again Absolutely. That's a real-world practical skill. Good stuff. Thank you, all, your li all listeners. We'll see you next time on the Modern History HSC podcast.